Nice save. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, hello, Redemption Flagstaff. Good morning. It is so good to be with, with you all together here. Uh, as, um, as Anthony said, Redemption Tucson and Redemption Flagstaff have a neat kind of bond and have for a number of years. Actually, I think the, the youth groups kind of um, headed things up with that. that uh, they, they, they call it Flagson. And uh, so Redemption Flagstaff, there it is, and uh, Redemption Tucson have, have bonded, I think in part in both not being Phoenix, right? Uh, I, I know there's, there are billboards different have had, right? Keep Phoenix out of flag, don't, don't Phoenix Tucson, things like that. So we can kind of join together in that, in that effort. But even last night, uh, my kids, uh, some of my kids, the older ones, were, were out hanging out with, with some of the Flagstaff youth Last night, and uh, when Flagstaff and Tucson get together, look out. It gets, gets crazy. So, uh, again, that was, that's our family situation. But, again, just so good to be here with, with you all. As um, Anthony said, I've gotten to know him for quite a long, long time. And, in fact, one thing, when he last preached in Redemption Tucson, he and his family stayed at our house. I think it was over the summer, and uh, so that's, that's a hard sell, right? Come to Tucson in the summer, but, but he came, they came. It was a huge blessing. They actually stayed at our house while um, we were actually out of, out of town, and uh, when we got back, Anthony, if you don't know, was, an, was a teacher for a long time, and he got a bunch of individual like headshots of himself during that time, for, and he has, I guess, a, a whole bunch. Well, he left his face all over our house. And so our family, our kids, before we even knew Anthony, or before the, the, they knew Anthony, they'd, you know, uh, just open up a cabinet, right, to brush their teeth, and there's Anthony's face. And all over the house, he left his, his picture. I think we've gotten you completely out of our house at this point now, but, uh, uh, but n- not out of our hearts. So you are here. So um, something I do want to introduce about myself before I get into our time a bit here is that I have a stutter. And so just so you know, it is much colder here than it is in Tucson, but it's not that. It actually happens everywhere I go, no matter the temperature. And um, it is, it is, uh, uh, it'll kind of come in and out. But something that I want to share with you that, that when I'm in a new space, I like to share, and I know this is also the heart of anyone who ever preaches here, is this. In 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the author Paul says this. He says, when I was with you, brothers and sisters, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? That's, that's my heart and my expectation this morning, is that we will hear and see God's power on display, even though my um, oddly shaped ears uh, are not keeping this thing in place um, this, this morning, that again, we will hear from God, that he will speak to us. And I know that last week, again, Anthony affirmed me, and now I need to say something nice about him, right? That's how it goes. No, but in, in, in all truth, in all 
uh, honesty, you all are blessed, greatly blessed to have someone who has the character and the heart that Anthony does. I remember years ago, Anthony was praying for someone here in Flagstaff, someone that I didn't know that none of us knew, and the emotion that he had while praying for someone else. We were all in Phoenix at kind of a pastoral meeting, and Anthony was praying for someone. You just see he truly cares about you. Um, he truly is humbled and is honored, I know, to get to shepherd, to kind of under-shepherd God's, God's people. And I know last week he did an incredible job. I got to hear the, the, the sermon as he walked through Isaiah chapter 53, right? The big idea idea that, that, that this, this suffering servant king of God's would, would take on the punishment and the shame and the burden and the, 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 the pain of God's people, right? So what? Right? So what? And again, you might be thinking, who, I don't know what they do down in Tucson, but like this is a church. Like, are you not aware... But honestly, in a, in a space like this, in a church, it's okay and even good to ask some of these honest questions because I think we tend to struggle to connect the dots with what Jesus has done to how we live our lives. We, we appropriately, I think this morning, can ask to Heather, so what? Right? If Jesus is this suffering servant king and is taken on burdens and pain and shame of his people, how does that inform the lives of his people? So what I want us to walk through and what we'll see this morning is that, is that because Jesus is the suffering servant king, his people can um, know and trust that, that, that God will restore his people to thrive forever. Okay, so here's what we'll see as we walk through it together this morning. We'll see that God's people will be restored. We have it up here. That God's people will be restored. God's people can trust his promises. And God's people will thrive forever. So with that, let's pray together as we turn and get into Isaiah chapter 54. Lord, as has been prayed earlier this morning, and again now, we ask that you will speak to us. We ask and pray that through the Holy Spirit, you help to open our eyes and to soften our hearts. Lord, we ask that you will give us ears that are able to hear and eyes that are able to see and hearts that are able to receive and respond to your good news, Jesus, and what that looks like to live all of life out of flowing out of what you have done and who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, let's pick up together in Isaiah chapter 54. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. 
Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Infertility is a sad and painful reality to walk through. In fact, I'm going to guess that statistically, very likely, many in here are perhaps even now walking through this. And perhaps many have walked through this before. Hey, is there a handheld mic I can just grab? Thank you. I saw you walk in, and I'm, otherwise I'm just going to be... I'm, I already have the work, work with my speech right now. I've got to mess with this. Uh, we just need some help here. Or are you just going to do this thing? All right. Just help me out. Oh, pop it off. All right. You need me to move these? No. Okay. Or uh, Anthony will just give me a... There it is. We'll just do this. Thank you. It's okay. Thank you, guys. Let's thank these guys. Them. Pastors, they meet, they pray, they spend time with you, and they help, you know, people from Tucson. Hold the Tucson judgment right now, right? Because I can't figure out the mic. Well, okay, sorry, that was a hard spot to kind of switch gears, but um, that's something that my family has walked through, infertility. And um, even this, this lo- lo- language of widowhood is also a painful reality. In our cultural context, in many ways, I think to be divorced. My mom was a single mom raised four boys. And as a divorced single woman, in many ways, there are some similarities, some commonalities there. And, And yet Isaiah starts by saying, sing, barren woman, right? And then later, the reproach of your widowhood. That, that almost seems cruel, right? I don't know, again, I don't know your story. I don't know what you are walking through right now, even this morning, but when you're feeling shame and disappointment and sadness and frustration, singing joyfully is one of the last things you really want to do. Okay, and as, as hard as that is in our day, in our context, it's in this day, in this context, it would be like a death sentence to be unable to, to have biological children, to be a young widow would be, would be terrifying. You would feel in many ways like your life is, is over. Shame, that word in verse four, right? It pops up there. You will not be put to shame. Shame is a powerful emotion, a powerful feeling. Well, what's happening here is God is using a metaphor that happens to, in many ways, connect with some of our struggles, some of our stories, some of our situation, but also zooms out and speaks into a bigger reality of what he's doing. In fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, again, the Apostle Paul um, helps God's people to understand the bigger picture, the bigger story of what God is doing and of how, um, who God is and what he has planned informs and speaks to his people for the entire history of the world. Look with me in Galatians chapter 4. 
Because of what Jesus did, here is what God will do for his people. In verse 24 of Galatians chapter 4, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. That's the law, the covenant of if you obey these things, you will receive blessing. Okay, and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, right, because of the work of this suffering servant king that we heard about last week in Isaiah chapter 53. And she is our mother, for it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. God will do far more than you can hope or imagine. Even whatever you're Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. So in these kinds of promises from God, all right, in our context, we tend to just kind of focus on the individual. There, that is important. That does matter. There are individual implications of God's promise to restore his people. There are also communal implications, and there are also global implications. Okay, again, so right now, like think for a moment about your situation, your story, your family, your family of origin. Maybe what you're walking through right now. Maybe what you're going back to at work or school tomorrow. God's message is that his promises are meant to inform your life today. It's not to downplay or to dismiss what we're currently walking through, but it's to kind of zoom out and open our eyes to a bigger picture that whatever you're walking through, it is not the end of the story. The gospel, right, the good news of Jesus is meant to, to take us from looking at self, from focusing on self. What happened in the beginning when God created human, humanity, our identity and our purpose, who we are and what we do was perfect and, and good and there was no shame. But then when sin enters into the world, our eyes went from God to self. I've heard it said, and I like this imagery, that we all have become na- naval Gazers, like staring at our own navel, just focused and obsessing on ourselves and our situation. And the good news of what Jesus has done is to gently and firmly lift our chin and, and take our focus off of ourselves. Again, it's not to dismiss us, but to inform who we are most fully as God's people. There are individual implications of the good news of what Jesus, this suffering servant king, has done on behalf of his people. There are also communal implications, right? Redemption Flagstaff, you all have been through a lot over the last couple of years, right? We all have, it's easy to say, oh, well, what about these people? What about these people? But it's also good to just sit in the moment. How has, I, I love at the, at the, at the, at the entrance, right? It invites everyone to move up and to press into our identity as God's family, right? Sometimes families fight. 
Sometimes there are struggles. There are, are different things going on that come that we want to think are out there, but they impact us in here. Again, God's message is your situation isn't the end of the story. And there are also global implications. All right, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm guessing that not many of us in here are ethnically or culturally Jewish. Okay, there might be some for sure, but probably most of us are not. Probably most of us have European or, or uh, African or, or Asian or, or indigenous ancestry that we kind of trace, you know, back to there. But um, the, the good news and the message for us is that right in Galatians chapter 4 verse 28 says, now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. The message to God's people, Israel, right, as again, Anthony explained last week, are in exile, are struggling, are wondering, right, like us, like a church, like, God, you've called us here to be a light, a shining light, to, to bring the message of the good news of what all of life looks like as we follow the Lord, and yet we're struggling. We're in a hard place, right? We're like this like my wife and I were, as we were praying through and thinking through the implications that we might never be able to have biological children. And we knew God is good and God could do something with that. And then to hear God's message, I will use you. I still have plans for you. You can trust your current situation to my greater insight and to my plans his message to Israel is, I know right now you're floundering and you're struggling, but I'm going to use you. I'm still going to fulfill my promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that you will, that through you, one name will come that will be a blessing to the entire nations, to the entire world, right? That is this suffering servant, Jesus, that is, is building up. And then again, here now, that imagery and that language, you are children of promise. Let's just pause there again for a mo moment. Again, first of all, thank God he keeps his word. I don't know that any of us in this room would be here. Right? Again, those of us that aren't ethnically Jewish, at that time they would have thought like this is it and God's plan was bigger than that. God's plan includes you and me. Even this morning now bringing it closer to home, Everyone in this room is a fulfillment of God's promise in some way. The, the fact that you're here, again, I don't know most of our stories in this room. Someone has prayed for someone else in this room. I believe every one of us has been prayed for by someone. You're an answer to prayer, a fulfillment of God's promise. How does that inform how you and I live our lives? God's plan is to restore his people. And he uses tender language. And in, in, in again, now back to Isaiah chapter 54 in verse 8, he uses language there. He says, In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness I will have what? Compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Those are m m marriage terms, by the way. Everlasting kindness and compassion. 
God paints this picture of a, a loving husband pursuing a wayward bride. That, that's us, right? As we learned last week, though all of us like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. God has laid on him, on his suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. With kindness and tenderness and compassion, God pursues his people in order to restore his people. Okay, but how many of us, even now, struggle to hope? Right, it can be like when I talked about our story, my wife's and my story, through different aspects, walking through infertility, and sometimes, again, some might be walking through other things, and sometimes when someone wants to pray for you and with you, you can think, no thanks, right? It, it's, it, again, this is church, and can be like, oh, is that okay? Can you tell someone, no thanks, please don't pray for me right now? But it hurts. Like sometimes when, sometimes hope, when you feel hopeless, is painful, and I think it's okay to, to actually ask, like, it, does it sound too good to be true? Again, I shared some of my story growing up. We grew up poor. I was raised by a single mom in many cases. One summer, we were actually homeless for a summer. And, um, and, and I say homeless. It maybe wasn't what many of us think, but we did. We, we lived in a hotel with my ex stepdad that he had a connection with and we my mom cleaned rooms so we had somewhere to stay and I remember hearing about this job that mom just got or had the final interview for this this new opportunity or this new home that we might get and I remember at some point as I grew older I started to get jaded and just to think like yeah probably not like I I don't want to hear about it like look let me know when it actually happens because it hurts to hope so Again, it's okay here to ask this morning, what is the foundation of our hope? What is the basis of our hope? I am standing here saying you, you can hope and trust in God's promises to restore you, to bless his people. But why? What is the basis? Look back now with me in verse 9. To me, this is God speaking. To me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Again, God is saying, from my perspective... This is just like when I promised Noah I would never again flood the earth. Again, there's this invitation and maybe a rebuke. Again, not in a shameful way, but stop looking at yourself. Stop trusting in your own circumstances, but look up at me. God is saying, share in my perspective for a moment. From my perspective, this is like thousands of years before when God flooded the earth and then he made a promise and he gave a symbol. A symbol of what? To never again judge the earth in that way. And right, we call it a rainbow. In its context, it's actually a warrior's bow. Right, when you see a rainbow, which direction does it point? It points to the sky. And again, in the Hebrew, 
It's a warrior's bow because what God is saying, and I don't want to nerd out on us all too, too much right now, but he's saying it's called a, an oath of malaffliction. And in what it is, is God is saying, you can take my word, you can take my promise to the bank so much so that if I break my promise to you, may I be put before the warrior's bow. Okay, the, the, bow, the arrow will come to me if I ever break my promise to you, God says. So when we see a rainbow, right? We, when, when my family and I were driving in here this morning, we, man, Flagstaff was showing out, right? It was beautiful. The skies were clear. These mountains are huge. Again, you might see it just, it's like, yeah, whatever. For us, it's, we don't see that very often. It was amazing and beautiful, right? And you see a rainbow. Let it serve as a reminder of God's promises, that you can trust his word. God said, I will never do that. But in this, in this heap, well, my voice is cracked there for a moment. I already got a stutter. I, what else can, right? Um, in this, there's something even greater, there's some weird kind of, I don't know if, again, if Anthony talked about this last week, but throughout Isaiah, there's some weird kind of matrixy type stuff. If you've ever seen Matrix or maybe Pulp Fiction, sorry, don't go watch that, by the way, if you're going to, but, you know, something that, that um, has all kinds of different time frames in it. And when you watch it, you don't know if you're in the present, the past, or the future. Well, again, God is saying, from my perspective, I see the big picture. And last week in Isaiah chapter 53, he's talking about, from our perspective, what the suffering servant, Jesus, will do on the cross. But God is speaking about it in Isaiah 53 in the past tense. Because according to God, when he says it will happen, it has already happened. Amen. And so for us, we're here now. This is all future tense is being used. And so again, God is saying, come into my perspective for a moment. As important as a rainbow is for you and me, we have something even more significant. We can look back at the cross. We can see the fulfillment of God's ultimate promises. All the way back in Genesis chapter three, God made a promise that sin, your sin, my sin, our sin, will not ultimately define us, will not get the last word. And in God's power and God's kindness, Jesus, God himself, died, endured, took on pain, took on punishment, took on suffering, took on shame. God's people can trust his promises. And ultimately, God's people can trust that his people will thrive forever. Again, right, what, 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 so what? Okay, it's okay to say that. Some of us, I think, hear the good news. We hear the gospel and we think, well, that'll be great one day. But God's plan is for his promises and who he is and what he's done is to inform our lives now, today. Okay, pick up with me again now in Isaiah 54, verse 11. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise. Your foundations with wapis luzuli, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. 
I've, I've been to Jerusalem before. Anyone else here ever gotten the opportunity to go to Israel? It's, it's cool. It's a, oh, nice, Anthony. I didn't know that. It's a cool place, but it's not like that. It's not, it's not like r- rubies and jewels and all kinds of things. And, and God's promise to his people, even now, right, in exile, struggling, wondering, like, I don't have anything. I don't have two coins to rub together. Um, how, how, are, how are God's promises meant to be good news? And God says, no, I, I, it's not just a spiritual salvation, Okay, in, in, in um, our day, so many of us think of it like this. We think that we got beat up by a bully, right? I don't know if that's just me, like short guy in a bully, right? But like you get beat up and you get your nose bloodied and then, and then all of a sudden your, your parent or older sibling swoops in and helps and comes and takes you away and comforts you. But the bully took away your lunch money and took your shoes, right? And now you're just, you're left, you're, you're struggling. And our view of salvation, of what God has done for us, is that he's like this loving parent who comes in and nurtures and coddles. And then we say, oh, what about my lunch money? What about, what about my shoes? Oh, that doesn't matter. You're just here. I'm, I'm here to comfort you. Just, shh, I've got you. That, that God does comfort us. He does have us. He does care for us. But that's a fairly low view of God if the extent of what he has done is that he just doesn't care about everything that has been affected and infected by sin, by rebellion. That the bully has come and bloodied our nose and God comes and he picks up the Holy and turns him upside down and shakes him by his ankles until every last coin comes and then he gets the shoes and he says, I, I have even more for you. Nothing that has been taken from you will, will, will last. I will provide. You can trust in my plans and my plans and my purposes are for you to thrive forever. And as we kind of land the plane here, look at this last verse with me, verse 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. All right, God's people can trust his promises. God's people can trust that he will restore his people. And God's people can also trust that we will thrive forever. And he says, no weapon formed against you will prevail. But if you know some more of the story, God's people do suffer. Other nations do actually come and attack them. They actually go back into other forms of exile. They build a temple and that temple gets torn down, right? God himself, Jesus, the son of God, fully God and fully human will suffer and will bleed Right? So how can God say, nothing will prevail against you? The good news is, again, that all the power that was once there that caused you and me shame and pain and suffering has ultimately lost its power. Let me again just share another personal story of how this is good news 
Kami. Um, almost exactly two years ago, actually early March, two years ago, early March in 2021, I stood in the apartment in East County, San Diego, in a pretty poor, broken down part of East County, El Cajon, San Diego. That's where um, I'm from. And I stood in an apartment um, where my older brother and sister-in-law had just overdosed and passed away. And in this apartment, it was a combination of um, sadness and brokenness and evil and hope. My sister-in-law, they had actually divorced like 20 plus years ago before, but in God's kindness and just my kind of weird dysfunctional family, uh, my, my older brother and sister-in-law, just like my, my parents, actually remained friends and were kind of there for each other. And, and, and so it was my sister-in-law's apartment, and she had been an incredible gift from God to me in my young age. He was about 10 years older than me, and she spoke things into me, prayed over me for many y- years, and in many ways informed who I am. And, 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 yet, and so I stood there in this apartment where, again, um, disobedience to God, dr- drug addiction, o- overdose, uh, there were signs of it everywhere, and I don't want to get too graphic here, but I think sometimes like the reality of sin, we kind of church it up too much. Like it smells, it actually, it smelled horribly in there. There were all kinds of reminders of the effects of living life apart from God and his promises that both of my, my older brother and my sister-in-law who knew and followed Jesus um, had also chosen to not trust his promises. And, and the sad reminder was there, right in front of me. But there were also, like, Bibles. And there were, there were journals I got to see and look, look through. And, and it was this, this weird place. And in that moment, I was actually the f- first one in the apartment after the medical examiners took him out. And I, I was able to stand in that place and experience a peace and a hope, and honestly, a time of worship um, unlike almost any other time in my life. In that moment, the power of sin and the good news that God's promises to restore his people and for us to flourish and thrive forever was so obvious that even our own choices to rebel and to sin did not ultimately prevail. That my brother and my sister-in-law and their effort to find life where it will only bring death, physical death, and it did, even that didn't win. That because they had given their lives to, because this suffering servant king laid down his life, even though we all like sheep go astray, each to our own way, that God has put the iniquity of our sin, the punishment of our sin, the shame of our sin, the power of our sin on the suffering servant. We are now set free to live and thrive forever as his people. So that even though we struggle to connect the dots, the good news of Jesus is meant to inform our lives now. That whatever has happened to us, whatever we have chosen to do, ultimately that doesn't define us. That though God's people so quickly forget how who he is and what he's done is meant to inform and shape our lives now. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that God's people can trust, can take to the bank, 
that we will be restored to flourish and thrive forever. Let's pray together before we take a moment to reflect and consider these things. Father, even even now, um, thank you that we can come before you as children because our older brother, Jesus, our creator, the king, the one who made everything, loves us so much that he came to take on himself our shame, our suffering, our pain. Lord, I I pray that everyone in this room, that all of us individually and corporately, as a redemption flagstaff, Lord, that we are in your hands right now, that your spirit is doing a work, that even now as we take a moment to reflect and to consider how who you are and what you've done informs our lives now today, I pray that you will bring to mind whatever needs to be brought to mind, even if it's potentially difficult or painful memories or fears. If, if anyone in here is afraid to hope because hope hurts so much, Lord, help us understand your goodness. Help us look to the cross and to see that you are powerful because you dealt with sin and you are good because you took it on yourself. Help us live in light of the good news of Jesus, our suffering servant king. In his name we pray, amen.